The reading this morning is taken from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, for which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. My name is Yana Browning. I'm one of the pastors on the team here at HT. And especially warm welcome if you're visiting us this morning. Uh, it's great to have you make yourself at home. You probably are at home. This morning, we're continuing a sermon series in the book of Ephesians. Um, and much like last week, this week, we have a really chunky passage um, to get our teeth into this morning. And really, we're just going to be following one thread um, through it together this morning. But keep your Bible open or on if it's on a device, um, and we're going to keep referring to it. As we start, will you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for the chance to be together this morning digitally. And we thank you for your word. And we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to speak to us um, this morning. We pray that you would help us pay attention uh, physically, mentally, but also spiritually to hear what you might want to say to each of us this morning and to us as a church family. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so we're going to tackle the passage um, in just a minute, but first a little warm-up exercise, an icebreaker, if you like, and it will help us um, when we get to our passage in a minute. So to start with a question for you, um, have you ever tried to make a deal with God? Um, tried, tried some negotiation? I, I was a real expert at negotiating with God as a teenager. I specialized um, in negotiations involving school-related issues. Um, so for example, I remember there was one particular drama performance that I really wanted God to get me out of. And um, I would provide him with some suggestions for how he might want to do it. So, you know, perhaps a power cut of some description or, or just a complete change of curriculum. Um, you know, also, also a suggestion. And then as the day grew closer, um, kind of more desperation would set in and I suggested maybe God might want to consider arranging some kind of minor accident in which I would break um, a limb, a small, a small limb. Um, but that, that was really God's side of the bargain. My side of the bargain, um, I specialized in negotiating um, around my prayer journal, how many entries um, for how long, how early in the morning um, would uh, 
I would, I would, I would sit down with my prayer journal. Um, I'd also promise to do my chores without grumbling. That was an important one. Um, and also to get up early to read the Bible. And if I was really desperate, I would even promise to get up early to read the Bible on the weekends. But that was, that was a real, that, that was real desperation. I don't know if you can relate to this, you know, maybe, uh, God, if only you could just not let my parents notice what I did to the car. I promise I will never speed ever, ever again in my entire driving career. Or God, if you could just find a way to get stoned so off this project, I promise I will never complain about a colleague again. Um, many, many of us have attempted to make bargains with God. Apparently, so the research says, um, you don't even have to believe in God in order to, uh, to negotiate with him. Atheists do it also from time to time. But maybe like me, um, you've been around church for a little while now. You might have um, upgraded your negotiating strategy. Um, it's become more sophisticated, more subtle. Um, you've switched to the unspoken method, which is really less of an explicit deal as a kind of under the table arrangement, um, whereby you just at strategic moments up your spiritual game slightly. Um, so for example, you really want a promotion at work next month and so you're praying about it very dutifully and leaving it with the Lord and with his wisdom but connect unconnected completely completely unconnected you decide to start reading an extra chapter of your Bible every day um, and and giving a little bit more um, uh, at the end of every month completely completely unconnected and if you reason with yourself about it at all the reasoning goes something along the lines of well I'm just helping God to bless me. I'm just making it that little bit easier for God to answer my prayer. Um, we've all made deals, spoken or unspoken, with the Lord Almighty. And for some of us, actually negotiating is probably the best way to describe our normal, uh, a normal relationship with God. It's just a series of negotiations, one after the other. Um, now, when we negotiate with God, don't worry, we're going to get to our passage in a minute, don't worry. Um, when we negotiate with God, we make two fundamental assumptions. Assumption number one, that God will take our call. We assume God knows we exist, that he recognizes us as someone um, that he can engage with, um, and that he's at least as interested in us to take the call, basically. Which, when you think about it, is quite an assumption. There are, uh, well, I would say most, uh, all important people in the world um, are, I don't know who I am. And if I did call them, probably wouldn't take my call, even if they did know who I was. And yet all of us, even those of us who don't really believe in God, carry this idea that if we call on God, he knows who we are and he'll take the call. Assumption number two that we make when we negotiate with God, we assume that we have something to bring to the negotiating table. I mean, this is negotiation 101, right? True of all negotiations of any scale from Brexit right through to everyday family interactions, right? Each side has something that the other wants. So the kid wants to read Zog a hundred million times and the parent wants the kid to go to sleep this side of 2022. 
a negotiation can begin. Um, when we negotiate with God, explicitly or not, we make a huge, huge, huge assumption, which is we have some bargaining power. We've got some leverage. We've got something that God wants. This is the assumption that I make when I'm praying um, for something and I'm like, well, God, this, this is what I want over here. This is what I want. And over here, this, this, is, this is what you want. You see this, you see this 20 minutes on a, on a Saturday morning when I'm half asleep and drooling into my porridge. You want that 20 minutes, don't you? So let, 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 let's have a conversation. We assume we bring something to the table. Now, of those two assumptions, that God will take our call and that we have something to bring to the table, one of them is totally wrong and the other one is right, but only barely. And as a result, this negotiating strategy we have with God is doomed to fail. But you might know that already from personal experience. Um, and our passage today is going to blow this negotiating strategy out of the water. It's going to blow it out of the water. So let's turn to our passage. Um, I'm not going to go into a huge amount of detail, basically, because there's so much here. Um, but I'm going to highlight a few things so that we have a sense of part of what Paul is talking about here. Paul, the author of this letter. Um, I'm going to pull three things out for us just to notice. The first thing is this. Um, we were off to a bad start. You, me, all humanity were off to a very bad start. You see, most zero to hero stories start with the hero um, down and out somehow, right? They're a diamond in the rough, but they're stuck in a uh, living hand to mouth in a backwater town, um, or they're stuck in a dead end job, or I don't know, they're extremely bored. You know, life's just not going for them. Um, not many stories start. In the beginning, our hero was dead. Just dead. And yet, that is the beginning here in no uncertain terms. Paul writes, this is in verse 1, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And actually later he counts himself in the same group. We, we are dead in our sins. Spiritually, spiritually speaking, we're as good as dead. Totally unresponsive. Dead as doornails. We weren't just, you know, well-meaning, but a bit lost. And if you just pointed us in the right direction, we'd get there eventually. It's not like we just needed a leg up or, you know, we just needed a little bit of spiritual seed money uh, to get us up and going and then we'd be off. We were dead, floating lifeless. Our selfishness and sin cut us off completely from God, such that we are spiritually, spiritually dead to rights. When it comes to the truly astonishing transformation that Paul describes here, where we go from death to life, and not just any life, where we're raised with Christ Jesus, where we're seated with Christ Jesus, this astonishing transformation, to this astonishing transformation, we contribute nothing. We contribute nothing. 
were dead as doornails. Be under no illusion, says Paul. Without the intervention of God himself, you and I were beyond rescue. This is a very bleak, inescapable picture of our life before God's intervention. But there is an odd kind of comfort here. I'll just say briefly before we move on. Um, it might be this morning that you feel as good as dead, spiritually speaking, that you feel like you've got nothing to contribute, you'll bring nothing to the table. When God is involved, that is not the end of the story. That is the beginning. Now, second thing to notice here, God does everything. This whole passage is about what God does, which is everything. Have a look at verses five and six with me. Paul says, God made us alive with Christ. Um, he says that he raised us with Christ and he seated us with Christ. If you look forward to verse 10, it says even the good works that we'll do in the future, the good things we'll do in the future, even God um, prepared those things in advance for us to do. So basically he did them too. Um, God does everything past, present, and future. Don't forget, we contribute nothing. We are as dead as doornails. The dead don't raise themselves. God does everything. And the third thing to notice, um, uh, final thing to notice is this. God does everything for love. Have a look at verse four with me. So Paul writes, but because he was embarrassed. God made us alive. Or God who was um, bored. Or God because he was feeling guilty. Or God uh, because he wanted to prove that he was bigger and better than us. Or God because of his ego. Or God because he needed to made us alive with Christ. That is not... Um, as hopefully your Bible will confirm what Paul wrote, because of his great love for us, God makes us alive. This passage really presses in the love and kindness of God. God is rich in mercy. He has great love for us. That's both in verse four and in verse seven, have a look. He wants to show us the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. But it mentions grace three times in this passage, although we'll come back to that in a minute. God does everything here for love of us. Now, um, I want us to loop back to our icebreaker about negotiating with God because it will help us make sense of what um, the implications of what Paul's saying here, some of what Paul's saying. So remember the first assumption that God will take our call. Well, according to Paul here, this is right, but, but barely. The truth is much, much more like God called us first. We're just returning his call. God is waiting. He's waiting for us to call him. I don't know if you've ever waited 
for an important phone call. It's a particular kind of feeling, you know, you've had a job interview or you put in an offer on a house or um, you're waiting for someone you care about to call you back and you kind of pace around and you've got your phone there um, and it's on full volume and it has your whole attention. God is waiting for us to call him. We don't have to get his attention, we have it already. And that's because he initiated the whole thing. Paul says, you know, when we were dead, God made us alive in Jesus Christ. He initiates the whole thing. He calls us before we call him. In chapter one that Stuart looked at last week, Paul says God gave us every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ before we even knew to ask for a single thing. God loves us as a devoted father. He calls us before we call him. He enables us to call him. As for our second assumption, that we have something to bring to the negotiating table, well, friends, uh, we do not have anything. We do not have anything to bring to the negotiating table with the Lord absolutely nothing. We have nothing that he needs, not our time or our good deeds or even our money. He doesn't need a thing. And even the good things that we might do in the future, as Paul said, God sets up in the first place. So we'd just be paying him with his own money. And sometimes in his kindness, he'll play along with that. But the truth is that God is not interested in a negotiation with us. This is not a negotiation. This extraordinary transformation of death to life, it's not a negotiation, it's not a deal. It's a gift. God's goodness to us, when he by his power lifts us from death to life, um, it is a gift. And from that point on, that line in the sand by which he makes us alive, from that point on, all of his answers to our prayers, all of his blessing on our lives, it's all an expression of that gift, not a negotiation. We did not, nor could we ever deserve, earn, or bargain a single good thing from God. It is a gift. It is a gift. It's a straight up one-way street. God gives everything. There's a phrase that's repeated twice in our passage in verse 5 and in verse 8. Um, it is by grace you have been saved. It's a pure gift. It's a pure gift when by his mighty power God lifts us, lifts us over that goal from death to life. And from that point on, when we're joined with Christ, from that first uh, extraordinary gift of life, that gift plays itself out again and again and again in our lives, a principle by which we live our life in him. It's not a negotiation because we don't have anything to bring to the table. It's a gift. Now, how to apply all of this as we finish? Um, I've got one application for us. Um, Give up negotiating with God. Give it up. Do it no more. No more. If you do this, I promise I'll do that. 
No more subtly putting more in the collection just because we want to have some leverage over God. No more negotiating around what we can bring to the table. If you catch yourself starting to negotiate like that, starting to build a bargain with the Lord based on what you can bring to the table, slam on the brakes. Stop building your Christian life on your own behavior and start building it instead on the unmerited kindness of God. When we come to God to ask for things, we do not ask based on who we are or what we could do for God. We ask based on Him, on His love for us, and on the promises He's made to us. Now, you might think, um, that uh, this means that we suddenly don't have any need um, or motivation to do anything um, that God really asks us to do. If we can really just give up negotiating with God and just ask Him, um, you might say, well, Yana, between you and me, the only reason why I pray is because I want God to bless me. And if I don't have to pray for God to bless me, well, most of the motivation is going out the window. But actually, the opposite is true. When the reality of God's grace um, comes home to us, the opposite is true. When we give up negotiating with God and instead try to build everything on His kindness, His grace to us, two new engines kick into gear. Uh, two new driving forces that at first sound contradictory, but actually pull in the same direction. Engine number one, we start to do all these things, all the things that God would ask us, pray, serve, give, forgive. We start doing all these things um, for us, not for God. For us, not for God. What I mean by that is this, when we realize um, that uh, God doesn't tell us to do these things because he needs them, like he's trying to map, make some kind of prayer quota or something. He doesn't need them. And that he's not some kind of grumpy taskmaster who likes bossing people around. It dawns on us that he's asking us to do these things. He commands us to do these things for us, not for him. He tells us to pray, to give, to serve, not for his sake, but for ours. Think back to the parent who's trying to get the kid to go to sleep. Now, as a human example, there is almost certainly some mixed motives on the part of the parent who probably wants to sleep themselves or just get on with life. Um, but they also want the kid to sleep for the kid's sake. Sleep, the parent says. You don't know how much better life is if you sleep. You'll be able to keep your eyes open. You won't be grumpy. You'll be able to do more fun things, not fewer. Um, you just don't know what life could be if you would sleep. The same uh, desire is there in the heart of God. The Father says, pray, pray. You don't know what life would be like if you would pray. If you'd spend every morning with me, what security would come to you? What peace would come to you? What hope would come to you? You don't know what life could be if you would pray. 
or read this book, the father says. You don't know what life could be like if you read, read, read this book. What, what security it would bring you, what hope it would bring you, uh, what confidence it would bring you. I don't tell you to read it for me. I know what it says. You don't know what life could be if you would read a book or give. The father says, you don't know how good life would be if you just gave and gave and gave. What contentment would come to you? What joy would come to you? What security would come to you if you learned to give yourself away? Some people like rules for rules sake, but God is not one of them. Every single one of his commands he gives as a blessing to us for our sake. And we can't always see it, must be said. Some of the things we do because we trust him and his goodness. Um, but when we realize suddenly that he tells us to do these things, not for his sake, but for ours, when that engine kicks in, in our Christian life, it starts getting really exciting. Suddenly we do all of these things, not, not for God, but for us. Suddenly sitting here in our laps are the keys to the life we actually want. And we throw ourselves in, into these things. We start to do these things, not for God, but for us. But at the same time, engine number two kicks in. And engine number two kicks in when it dawns on us we can't negotiate with God because he he's already given us everything everything before we could ask for a single thing and he wants to continue lavishing everything on us for the rest of our lives we realize the vast kindness of God we don't want to do these things for us we do them for him we do them for him what kind of God is this? What vast kindness that gives so much so patiently. What kind of God puts up with the laughable teenage bargains for so long with so much love? Who loves me still even though I did not keep a single side of my bargains? And he still wants to lavish his kindness on me, such that I am. When this dawns on us, suddenly, you just would do anything. You just want to be with him. Um, you want to be close to him. You want to devote your life to him. As the psalmist says, what shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? Everything, anything. For him, my whole life, a happy gift to the one who gave me everything. None of this is for me. I'll do anything, but none of it's for me. It's for him. And I know these two engines sound contradictory, but they actually pull together and they feed each other. And when they're both firing and with the power of the Holy Spirit, the Christian life starts getting very exciting indeed. So, trust me, lean into what Paul says here about the grace of God. 
give up negotiating with him. If you feel dead inside this morning with nothing to bring to the table, that is where the story begins. Dare to throw yourself on the kindness of God. Throw yourself on the kindness of God. Throw yourself into the things he asks you to do. Wake up the day with your, with your prayers on your knees. Read the Bible as if your life depended on it. Forgive those who hurt you and do it all for him. He gave us everything. And friends, when we as a family throw ourselves onto the kindness of God and build our lives on the kindness of God, um, what a family we will be. We will live in the incomparable riches of his grace expressed to us in the kindness of, uh, expressed in the riches of his kindness in Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. Amen. Amen. We're going to continue now with our prayers.